0: I'm Mark Peterson, and this is the FEMA podcast. The FEMA Logistics Management Directorate works tirelessly to make sure that when disasters strike, we're ready to provide the right resources at the right place at the right time in support of state, local, tribal governments and territories. For the FEMA logistics team, part of being ready means procuring, stocking, and storing massive quantities of commodities to support disaster survivors. And we do that through our eight distribution centers located throughout the country. On this episode, we take a tour of the FEMA distribution center located in Frederick, Maryland, and dive into all aspects of the on-hand commodity mission, which stands always at the ready for when disaster survivors and communities need us most.
1: So my name is Kevin Colton, I'm the Distribution Center East Branch Chief. So our distribution centers uh, in distribution management are split in East and West. Uh, on the East side, you've got four distribution centers, three CONUS, one in Puerto Rico, OCONUS. And then uh, on the West side, you have Fort Worth, DC Tracy in California, and then uh, Guam and Hawaii for OCONUS.
0: So Kevin, we're uh, standing in the midst of what looks like just a, a, a warehouse you would find anywhere in America. Where are we right now?
1: So you're in Frederick, Maryland. This is uh, one of our distribution centers for uh, FEMA. Uh, We store what we call uh, IRR, or Incident Response Resources. And these are life-sustaining and life-saving resources that we store uh, for a disaster to meet the needs of the survivor uh, for any given state or territory.
0: So this would be things like water and... Shelf stable meals. Is right. that, is that so what we're Right.
1: So the, the basics are uh, water. Uh, we have shelf stable meals. We have tarps. I have uh, plastic sheeting, which is the blue roof mission, usually done by uh, the Corps of Engineers for us. Uh, we also have generators, uh, cots, and blankets for shelters.
0: And you know, so what kind of a um, of a person works here? Are they logistics staff? Are they, you know, general warehouse staff? What what kind of
1: so generally, it's uh, logistics and warehouse staff. So you have uh, a management cell that is the, you know, the cell or the brains trying to, you know, manage, you know, the this, this strategic level stuff. Uh, uh, the, the, the meat of the whole operation is the material handlers. Uh, material handlers work the floor. They're the first ones that receive a trailer, uh, will identify with a product and do the initial inspection. Sometimes if it's coming in from a contractor... Uh, these initial loads will have to be inspected uh, to make sure that the, uh, they're in good condition for federal government use or for survivor use, uh, and then check the shelf life. You know, what's the expiration date for a meal uh, and or water? Uh, so they will then receive it, uh, do the inspection. We'll do some, uh, some what we call our logistics supply chain management system, uh, where we account for everything in the warehouse uh, on a web-based software system that will tell us the shelf life and where it's stored in the warehouse.
0: Yeah, so let's talk about the warehouse itself, and maybe we can kind of walk sure. along. So uh, the thing that strikes me about the warehouse itself is that um, now it's huge, but this is. is only one room. So this is can- yeah.
1: This is so this warehouse is about 230,000 square feet, uh, and we're it's separated into three different areas. So where the first area we're in is a uh, climate-controlled area. This area is where we store our uh, shelf-stable meals uh, where we have climate-controlled so that they last longer. It's usually a shelf life of about five years uh, if we keep them in a relatively decent temperature. Uh, obviously, if you store them in a hotter warehouse, then the, the shelf life may uh, detri- detrigrade uh, the actual quality of the meal. So then we have to inspect it. Um, so this is the, the typical storage area for a, uh, the shelf-stable meals. We also do infant and toddler kits. Uh, which help us uh, on the disaster side in the, uh, in the shelters for anything that would do with the, taking care of an infant, whether that's infant material, anything uh, that would assist in a shelter arrangement.
0: So are you selecting those, those resources here? Are you, are, are you working with the planning staff in other parts of FEMA? Or how are you determining what commodities you need to store and then obviously keep stable and ready to go?
1: So we have a a part of uh, Logistics Management Directorate. Uh, We have, uh, there's four divisions. One division is what we belong to, distribution management. Uh, On a national scale, they determine strategically what we store in our warehouses. Most of it are the life-saving, or pardon me, the life-sustaining, the meals, the water, uh, the cots, the blankets, infant and toddler kits. Uh, We also do some durable medical equipment and consumable medical supplies. Uh, and then of course the generators so strategic levelly they determine what goes into each warehouse and obviously we're spread across the whole united states to help meet the needs of wherever the needs may go in a a disaster
0: Um, and this is like a huge organic to fema operation i mean so we, uh, we Hire truck drivers, I'm assuming, forklift operators. So
1: part of the whole distribution network or the supply chain, uh, we contract for uh, truck drivers to come in and trailers, and they'll back up. And we have some unloading now from Dorian disaster uh, that we're unloading meals and water that went out during the disaster pre-staged before the disaster would hit in case you needed supplies uh, post-disaster to meet the needs of the survivor. So the truck drivers would come in, we contract for that, we load the, the trucks up, uh, we put uh, in transit visibilities, and then we can track that uh, from when it leaves the warehouse until it goes to the staging site, and then ultimately if it's needed at, uh, in the disaster zone or at the pod where it would meet the survivor.
0: Yeah, so talk to me about that process a little bit because we've done a previous episode with Josh Dozer in the NRCC where right. he explained how the resource requests come up from the field, go to the NRCC, and then from the NRCC they determine uh, how they can fulfill those needs. So, in the instance of commodities, how does that word get to you to start the activation process?
1: Sure, so the NRCC is activated, and usually all uh, disasters are from the lowest level and the needs and the resource requirements come from the lowest level, uh, i.e. the state uh, and the IMAT team that may be in the field at the state EOC. Uh, looking at, the, at the, the, uh, the track of the storm would then determine what the state would have as a requirement. That would come up through the RRCC and to the NRCC where um, they'll give us a total quantity of meals and water, cots and blankets that may be needed. Uh, So the order is put in uh, from the lowest level at the RRCC. The NRCC validates the order, and then the order will go out uh, from part of distribution management to one of our DCs. And then that order would come in uh, through the LCMIS, the Logistics Supply Chain Management System, uh, and then would determine by each DC what quantities would be loaded on trucks.
0: So this actually right now is, is a somewhat busy time for you. We're in hurricane season. And so tell me about the ramp up. Uh, well, I guess the, the most recent storm would have been Dorian. So how right. did that whole process uh, pan out for you during uh, the ramp up for Dorian?
1: So for Dorian was one of those storms that we, we weren't quite sure of the track. The track changed, obviously. So region four, uh, initial requirement was um, for a South Florida strike. Uh, In in meeting the requirements for those needs, uh, we pre-staged at uh, Maxwell Air Force Base, which is determined by region four, is where they stage for a South Florida strike. Uh, as the the storm turned, we've continued to load out to try to meet that Florida, but then you also possibly had a a Georgia, South Carolina, or a North Carolina strike where we opened up multiple ISBs uh, Northfield in South Carolina. Uh, we also opened up Fort Bragg in North Carolina uh, and then also AP Hill in Virginia for a possible uh, region three strike and
0: And if I could interrupt you, I think the initial uh, potential impact was Puerto Rico, but Puerto Rico has its own distribution center, Yes, yeah,
1: right? so Puerto Rico, I was actually in Puerto Rico for uh, the initial stages of Dorian, uh, and we do, we have a distribution center there in Puerto Rico uh, where we were um, pre-staged from uh, Maria. Uh, one thing that we learned in previous storms was that uh, some of our staging quantities in, in the uh, OCONUS or the Caribbean were too low, so we've increased those in the past years. So we were well well prepared in uh, Puerto Rico to meet uh, tropical storm at that time, uh, Dorian, uh, where we were prepared to initial uh, push out loads uh, to the pods or RSAs.
0: So going back to the East Coast, because you had a couple days notice, what I mean, what kind of quantities are we talking about moving? I mean, just in terms of the amount of stuff. I mean, you talked about all the different kinds of stuff we move, but I mean, this has got to be a massive effort. I mean, these are huge population centers. It is,
1: yeah. So South Florida strike. Uh, um, when you looked at the population base in the Miami-Dade area, uh, the quantities that were pre-staged were for a given two-day supply uh, for a possible strike in South Florida, uh, which would, was approaching about 900 truckloads uh, in Maxwell Air Force Base. Uh, so from that, you know, you, you had large quantities. Uh, some of that was from the DCs, but the DCs are just a drop in the bucket. Uh, all that does is basically determine, you know, get out the, the load, maybe the first three or four days to load out of D.C., and we empty out the stocks, and then these, these uh, cupboards would become bare, uh, and then contracting is initiated. So when I look out
0: at the tens, and I mean, rows and rows and rows of shelves, uh, four shelves high, filled with stuff, this is completely empty.
1: So the meals, uh, yes, would be almost completely empty. Uh, they would be all loaded on trucks and, and, and pre-staged. Sent
0: to where they, they're yep. needed. So
1: that we pre-stage them before the storm uh, in anticipation of a requirement from a different region. So uh, Region 4 uh, for a South Florida strike uh, would be Maxwell or Fort Bragg or Northfield. And then uh, AP Hill for Region 3. So all these products would then basically be loaded up it's basically like a warehouse uh pre-staged forward to where they may be needed
0: but this is just the initial amount of stuff to get the population to a sort of a safe and secure um sort of posture in terms of those immediate needs that they need right exactly
1: so yeah the, you're looking at uh, i think there's about uh uh, 1.4 million meals as you look across uh, this warehouse right now. And then that number will change day to day as we re- recover more stuff from Dorian and retrograde it back here. Um, but as that stuff is, sits in here right now, uh, you look at a requirement for a survivor uh, for our national, basically our planning factor. Uh, we utilize two meals per person per day. So 1.4 million meals means I can support 700,000 survivors for one day. Or you, you, know, you do the math up and down, so you can see you know, if it's a large metropolitan area where you're talking five to six million people, um, you may have to support maybe upwards of a million people, uh, given that scenario and historically what we've looked at in the past. Uh, so this is just a drop in the bucket until the contracts can be turned on nationally or interagency agreements with DLA or GSA where we backfill either more meals, uh, shelf-stable meals.
0: Yeah, and so these, these meals, though, are sort of uh, calorie-dense meals, right?
1: They are. The, uh, the MRE, the military uh, meal ready to eat, is uh, 2,000 calories per meal. So these are a commercial uh, offspring of that basically that we've determined, you know, reduce the, the caloric intake that's needed for a survivor, doesn't need 2000 uh, calories in one meal. So these are a little bit lower in the caloric intake and also the sodium, reduced sodium uh, for, you know, the, the soldiers really need that MRE on the battlefield uh, for our survivors. You know, we, we don't need that total caloric. So these are the same companies that make the MREs, um, but they redo it in a different format. It's a shelf-stable meal for some humanitarian need.
0: Do they take into account, like, cultural sensitivities as they well? Do.
1: We do. We have, um, so we have low-sodium meals. We do halal meals. Um, and we have uh, other things that we can go out and purchase uh, either through the economy or um, with contracts that we can turn on for, for cultural needs. So these are infant and toddler kits. Uh, as I talked about, um, they come in two different. So one is a perishable, which has formula in it that we have to rotate out every so often. It's off the shelf, and then none are uh, the diapers, the bibs, uh, anything else that you may need for an infant and toddler at a uh, shelter.
0: So as we walked into this new room where we're now we're seeing you know large amounts of water, uh, bottled water, tarps, uh, it sounds like plastic sheeting. Plastic
1: sheeting on the rolls, the blue rolls on the top shelf up there.
0: It's a different temperature. It here. is.
1: So we came out of the climate controlled, like I talked about. Uh, the climate controlled is better determined and better uh, mates, meets the needs for storage requirements for meals. Uh, the longer we can keep that temperature not into the heated values, the longer they'll last. Uh, our What we contract for usually has a shelf life of about five years. And then when you if you store it in this type of temperature, you may degrade. Uh, the shelf life possibility of the meals.
0: Um, You know, one thing I was surprised about in working for FEMA is that bottled water actually has an expiration. It does.
1: The the water actually does not expire. It's the plastic. The plastic degrades. Usually there's a two or three year shelf life of the water. Uh, The plastic will start to degrade so when that meets the expiration date then we have to access it as well as everything else. So this meal This pallet has an expiration date of August of 2021, which would be, you know, next hurricane season. So about five months out, we would go through the excess process to excess this through GSA, uh, where it may meet the needs of a um, food pantry or a state or other federal agency that may need it.
0: So you mentioned that there's a process once uh, you've moved all the commodities um, out to staging points, and then the, it's determined that those commodities aren't needed. You're bringing them back.
1: What's that process called? So retrograding.
0: Okay, so so ex- if
1: we were unloading trailers right now from Dorian still. So Dorian was about uh, the threat was about I guess three weeks ago now, and so those all those ISBs that we stood up at Maxwell, uh, AP Hill, Fort AP Hill, uh, we were at Northfield in South Carolina, Fort Bragg. All those staging areas then have to be, you know, basically if there was no need, no requirement from the state's perspectives and the survivor's perspective, then all of that would come back into our warehouses. And each one of those trucks, uh, it's easier to load it out. When it comes back, uh, we get a lot of uh, issues that we have to deal with, whether it's what we call spillage uh, in, the, in the truck where pallets, about 20% of them, have to be restacked when they come in because they've tipped over or uh, the issue, if there was any type of rodent that may have got into it, we have to inspect every pallet. Um, re-placard it is what this is. is a placard basically so, telling Just
0: to basically sign that kind of identifies exactly yes. what's in there.
1: Yeah, it's a 1,000 liters of water, gives the expiration date, and then the weight. So each truck can only go out, has to be underweight. Otherwise, you exceed the weight limits. Uh, on the highway. Um, So we have to know what the weight is on each pallet. So when it comes back in, it's definitely a longer process. Uh, The retrograde will take, you know, upwards of four weeks for Dorian uh, due to the requirements and the large needs. Because we weren't quite sure. Uh, You want to be prepared. We want to be able to meet the needs of the survivor, but we didn't know where that survivor was going to be. And it takes three to four days to, uh, to load up a warehouse to get it out there to be pre-staged in an area where we think it may be needed, uh, and in that time frame, you know, the track, the forecast track may change. Uh, and Dorian was one of those storms where it kind of hugged the coast. weren't quite sure if it was going to, you know, make landfall in Florida, South Carolina, or North Carolina. Ultimately, it was North Carolina. But um, we were staged, and then we we had product also in obviously Puerto Rico, where was the initial pass through in the Virgin Islands.
0: Good. So we just came outside, uh, more area for the staging of uh, supplies. And this is a kind of an area where I think the public always thinks of food and water, that FEMA is probably staging all that. But we're also staging a lot of stuff that helps the infrastructure move. Um, And so here we're outside looking at, what are we looking
1: at? So we're looking at Gens, and some of our big Gens are on chassis. Generators. Yeah, generators. So one of our Gens, and the more or the bigger generators are on these full chassis, the size of trucks. Uh, And these were, you know, approaching one megawatt. Well,
0: these ones are enormous. They are the size of a tractor trailer. Absolutely. Right.
1: And so this would support, you know, maybe a hospital. Uh, like in, well, even in Puerto Rico, what we did in Vieques and Calabria, we actually did microgrids. So we did a couple of these hooked together in parallel that supported the whole island. Uh, so that was just a backup. And the smaller ones, you know, could do, uh, as I look at this trailer, you know, we have four or five uh, loaded already pre-staged, ready to go out. Some of their smaller gens could support the uh, pump stations, Water treatment plants, uh, the critical public, inf- public infrastructure. Absolutely critical facilities, as determined by uh, the state and the locals. Uh, Where they maybe nine one one centers. Uh, we could do uh, nursing homes if, if if the need came up during a disaster.
0: You know, I mean, these are huge uh, pieces of machinery, and I would, I, I'm guessing that there's got to be a pretty rigorous maintenance schedule. There is, right?
1: So yeah, once uh, we have uh, part of our distribution center. Uh, we have what we call PSSM's, so they're power support uh, systems mechanics. So, a lot, big word, but what they worry about is our fleet. Uh, the fleet being either it be a, a forklift that runs into the warehouse, uh, a tractor trailer uh, that you see that we can load up, uh, the bigger forklifts that help move the generators, but then ultimately the outside, and one of our key things is the maintenance of the generators. So they have to be run up, they have to do a load test, uh, quarterly, and then before they go out they're tested uh, and to ensure that they're uh, functional and fully mission capable. Uh, and then they go to a disaster, usually where we turn them over to the Corps of Engineers uh, who does our our temporary power mission.
0: Kevin, the work that you do is largely behind the scenes, but the output of the work that you do is right there in front of the survivors. What, I mean, what's the best part of your job?
1: It is. It's, it's, it's knowing and, and, you know, Sometimes you, know, you talk to your, your material handlers, who are the backbone of the operation inside the DC, uh, and you just have to keep reminding them. You know, everything that we touch you know, is for a survivor, so that when, when that survivor has its worst day, uh, or that citizen has its worst day that they might ever go through, uh, the, the stuff that we do affects them on a personal level to make sure that they have either a meal, a life-sustaining meal, water, or power that could help support the infrastructure so they can get back to whatever that new normal is.
0: We welcome your comments and suggestions on this and future episodes. Help us to improve the podcast by rating us and leaving a comment. If you have ideas for future topics, send us an email at fema-podcast at fema.dhs.gov. If you'd like to learn more about this episode or other topics, visit fema.gov/podcast